0: The show for PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live, we'll be featuring Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. We'll also hear from Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy. All this and more on the Tech Night Out Live. So, Stephen, welcome back to the show. And if our listeners are wondering why I sound kind of weird, I have some kind of flu bug. Don't
1: well, I hope people... you feel better, Gene. I didn't think anybody in beautiful uh, Arizona got, got those kind of Northeast sicknesses.
0: Well, maybe I was visited by somebody from the Northeast. I have no idea. <laughs> All right, so we're going to cover a lot of ground here. And first, I'm interested in the push this year for Ultra HD or 4K with an Ultra HD Premium feature. What's that all about?
1: You know, up to this point, I think the TV manufacturers have seen the ability to drive a lot of incremental sales and certainly higher prices with uh, 4K by selling into consumers and telling them, You know, this is a great television appealing to what has always appealed the most to a consumer when they buy a TV, which is a great picture. And talking about how 4K gives you a better and better picture. And we've been through a couple of years of that, and like any good uh, technology, we need to move on to what the next iteration of that is. And I think in 2016, you're going to hear a lot, and we've already started to hear a lot about HDR and wide color gamut and all sorts of other next-generation technologies that are going to improve the quality of 4K so that the picture becomes better and better and that we can go and sell this year's TV and this year's technology at at the high ends of the market as being better than what was available last year.
0: Now, one of the issues about 4K is that if you don't have a large enough screen and you're too far from the set, you're not going to really see much difference.
1: True. True. But very little, less than only about ten or fifteen percent of the volume right now is in screens that are less than fifty inches. So the size is is not necessarily an issue right now. Partly also because we don't want a, the cost. It adds too much cost to some of those more entry-level uh, set sizes. Size of people's homes, people oh, in the U.S., tend to have bigger houses. So I think the ability to manage the size and depth of the room where you're putting the TV is a lot more applicable here than maybe in some other jargon.
0: So the big argument here with regard to 4K can be addressed with Ultra HD Premium.
1: Yes, and I'm sure, you know, your, your next question would be around content, and I think we can all just dump all those things together to say, look, the TV guys don't have to sell content. The TV guys are selling TVs. And the retailers are selling TVs. As more and more 4K TVs get into the market, and consumers like them, which they do, we will see more and more content show up. There's no reason and no problem with buying uh, technology ahead of when the best ability to use that technology is going to be available or, you know, we buy computers with processors that are way faster than than we need to do almost anything we're doing on that computer. Eventually, the needs catch up to the technology and, and it's no different in this. At some point, there'll be lots of great 4K technology and 4K content. Then, you know, you'll be happy you have a 4K television.
0: So the needs of the processors will soon suit the needs of the apps?
1: <laughs> okay. The needs of the industry to make money um, oversee the needs of the consumer to you know manage their purchase to try to get the best value today on what they're buying. Nobody's been making money in TVs for the last few years. Um, I think it's alright if we say to the industry, it's okay if you make money for a couple of years because sooner rather than later, all that competition and all that aggressive pricing and uh, are going to show back up again and it's going to get tough again, tougher again for the TV business. So let's give them this and let them try to take, take some profits for a couple of years here.
0: So we're going to see Ultra HD Premium as kind of a branding. What will that signify?
1: I believe right now it's supposed to have some level of HDR and some other things. Some of these next generation technologies, I think the biggest challenge is that not all the standards are set and not all the manufacturers are bought into the standards that are trying to go into each one of these kind of naming conventions. So there's always going to be a little bit of a pushback around what's happening out there.
0: So in a sense here. 4k is an evolving standard we're going to see more stuff and is that a reason at this point for people maybe to wait and see how things work and maybe they'll settle down and there'll be uh, one standard
1: i think if you're um a high-end buyer then you probably want to wait a little bit and see exactly what's going to happen you know, later this year and to try to spend some time understanding whether you think there's a, a value in waiting or not. If you're an entry-level or a mid-level buyer, some of those technologies aren't going to show up for you for another year or two. And again, there's probably not any good reason for you to necessarily wait. Because if you're buying at those kind of price points, then you're always going to have some some standards and some technology challenges. Because, you know, we're going to see those best technologies show up in the most premium, premium SKUs.
0: Ultra HD premium. I don't know. I also don't see until there's a lot of material out there, a lot of content, any reason for someone to buy a 4K set, especially a lower cost one, until they need a TV set.
1: Well... That's a fair argument. I think part of the reason that we're seeing some strength in that market is that there's a lot of people out there right now who need a TV set and who are looking at the pricing and the value proposition and saying this is a good time to buy a new television. Um, If you use kind of traditional metrics, you know, flat panel has been affordable, let's say, for six to eight years right now. For mainstream maybe a little bit longer maybe up to ten you know a lot of people keep their televisions someplace between five and eight years or even longer so you're starting to see opportunities to sell to those people who bought flat panel television before let's say 2012 in terms of hey you know the technology is much better the pictures are better the screens look nicer the set in general is nicer, better designed, more energy efficient, lighter, prettier, <laughs> newer. And this is a good time, as good a time as any, to replace what you had, not just with um, to fix all those other things, maybe be up because you can buy a bigger screen, but also because there's some new awesome technology that's coming and is here, and maybe you want to get in on the ground floor on that as well.
0: So this new refresh or upgrade cycle, that's going to help the manufacturers make some profits again?
1: You know, we're seeing pretty stable demand in the larger screen sizes uh, and stable pricing to a little bit of a uh, premium. We're seeing prices go up a little bit as consumers not necessarily on an item basis but the trend for consumers right now is to buy a little bit bigger and maybe buy a little bit more than they need today so that's kind of helping to drive uh average selling prices up and the brands are really focused on uh bigger screens and really talking to the consumer about bigger screens in the market. So, uh, 40 inches starting to evolve as the new kind of entry-level screen size. Uh, it's very possible that that 40-inch class of television this year will be the number one uh, screen size in the market. Um, traditionally, it's been 32 inches, but we're seeing some declines in smaller screens as the market evolves away from multiple screens in, in the home. and People start to use and consume content differently.
0: We've got more to come with Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night on Live. As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. Dreamhost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high performance SSDs. Wanna know more about what Dreamhost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com slash host. Once again, that's technightowl.com slash host.
4: So you've got to take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today. We'll be right back. The cat sat on the
5: as your body ages, there's a 10% decline in your ability to repair each passing decade after the age 28. By age 40, your ability to repair from demanding manual labor, exercise, or a stressful desk job has declined by 12%. By using One World Whey, you supercharge your body's ability to repair and eliminate inflammation. Our unique frequency-encoded whey protein, coupled with our high-quality whey, improves your cell's ability to make protein, which is to say, repair itself.
3: My name is Jonathan Wright, and I'm 40 years old. I recently went from a desk job to a manual labor job. Normally I'm worn out. With Energy Enhanced One World Way, I now recover so quickly that I can perform very hard work all day long. I use Energy Enhanced One World Way for breakfast and lunch, and I experience less hunger throughout the day. I have a 30% increase in energy, and I just feel better. I plan to make Energy Enhanced One World Way a permanent part of my lifestyle. Call
5: 888-988-3325 or visit oneworldway.com. That's oneworld, W-H-E-Y.com.
6: Removing bad taste and odor from your drinking water is easy. Removing the bad stuff you don't taste is what ProPure does best. Water the way nature meant it to be. Clean, crisp, and refreshing. See the complete line of ProPure countertop, inline gravity, and household water filtration products. Visit your authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com. That's P R O P U R U S A.com. Or call 800 544 3533.
0: Just why I remind you, we have a special feature of the show called Tech Night Owl Plus. Go to plus.technightowl.com to check out the features, the ad-free version of this show, better quality audio. Even when I'm sick, I'll sound a little bit better. Low monthly, annual, five-year lifetime subscription, plus.technightowl.com. Stephen Baker of the NPD Group is here. We are talking about the advancements in 4K sets that... People this year may be buying brand new sets and considering larger screens. So last time it was 32 inches, now it's 40. But for a 4K, don't you really need like 55?
1: Yes, but I, I think what we're seeing is a trend line where everybody is buying bigger. So people who might have bought 48s are looking more at 50s and 55s. And people who are buying 50s are looking at 55s and 60s. You know, we're seeing some we've seen some real growth in 55, uh, 65 as well has been a real story in the last year or so in terms of consumers really looking to buy as big as they can we 're seeing some challenges as you get above sixty five inches not not necessarily just from an affordability standpoint but TV bigger than 65 inches is big, <laughs> no matter how you uh, count the screen. There's just a lot of people who, while they may be able to fit a television that size, the sheer mass of a television that, that large kind of maybe overwhelms the room, and there's people who don't want it necessarily to overwhelm the room. So we do see a little bit of resistance above 65, but clearly all the way up to 65, and especially in 55 and 65, which have been the two main screen sizes to date we've seen in terms of sales for 4K, those products are just rocketing uh, through the channel right now.
0: What percentage of sets sold in the U.S. are 4K?
1: They represented uh, over 40% of the revenue revenue last year and if you give me a minute I don't know the unit number off the top of my head but if you give me a second about 12% 12 to 14% of the TVs this year in 2015 were 4K on a unit basis and the thing is on the average price of a 4K television in 2015 was over almost $1300 and the average price of a 2K television was about $325. Now, that's not accounting for different screen sizes, etc. cetera, but just as a thought process, obviously, as 4K remains more of a premium feature, it's going to take a while on a unit basis, but on a dollar basis... Um, it's, it's rapidly moving towards being the majority of the uh, revenue in the marketplace.
0: Now, if I'm looking for a 4K set, what should I be looking for? Just 4K and that's it? If I want to basically buy on a budget?
1: On a budget? <laughs> I think you want to look for the type of... You want to look at the screen. You're looking at things like backlights and LED. You're looking at how dark the blacks are uh, some of the standard kind of things you would look at on any any television i think you you just are looking for a better you're going to see better better product in that area but i think once you've decided you're going to do that i think then you go back to the traditional kind of screen metrics around brightness and refresh and and black levels
0: but do people who buy tv sets ever look at those numbers really
1: Uh, again you know if you're a uh, higher-end buyer, you probably do. If you're more of an entry-level buyer, you probably don't. Uh, you know, TVs are no different than any other piece of technology. People don't know what the processor or the the amount of RAM they have in a phone is. Nobody really knows how fast the processor in their computer is. Those kind of things, people don't really pay any attention to those pieces. So... You have to look, right? I mean, one of the values, and, you know, interestingly, one of the things that's kept TVs... Having a vast majority of the volume being in stores is, especially when you get to bigger sizes, consumers really want to make sure that they take a look at it, not just understand how big it is physically, but to really look at that picture and see whether that's something that they find acceptable. But, you know, again, I'd add, even when you get to those, because you have a wide range of prices and a wide range of brands. There's there's lots of consumers who are just looking for a big television, and they're not as worried about what the features and specs are. Is it as good as a a premium higher-end one? Well, probably not, but um, that's why we have a lot of different manufacturers and different pricing.
0: Now, with TV sets, does the audio quality impact anyone, or does anyone even care? I'm talking about the most numbers of users, not the ones who are really into sound and will get sure. a sound bar, soundbase, or another audio system.
1: The sales numbers say that more and more people care about the audio. They're looking for better quality audio. Are they buying, you know, high res audio? Again, that's something as you point out that's probably the purview of the real high end buyers. But you know, people want a good audio solution alongside the television. Uh, you know, we're seeing lots and lots of sales growth in soundbars in soundbars that have Bluetooth enabled so that uh, you can not just use that soundbar for your television, but you can connect up your phone or tablet and stream music or sound, uh, you know, some other kind of sound through through that sound bar, which is probably going to be the best sound reproduction device in your home. So yes, people care about sound, they care about it more and more, they care about it both for their television and they want the flexibility with something like a sound bar to be able to uh, use that with some other devices where maybe their uh, music or their music systems are, are available.
0: Now, they have a subset of sound bars called the SoundBase, where you place the set atop the suppliers. Uh-huh. Is that making much of a difference for most people? No,
1: nobody. that, that has not been a very successful uh, product. Uh, in general, for, for, for the most part, in fact, almost everything right now is really focused on the sound bar as being the uh, best solution for the vast majority of consumers.
0: I know I have a sound base on my TV. And I kind of like it better because you don't have this thing in front of the set. And you have to get one that's small enough so that the actual picture isn't blocked.
1: Yeah. Um, there's a lot of ways to get around that. Um, like I said, people, the the marketing and the, the kind of look and feel and things like the sound base just haven't, haven't resonated with most consumers and I think at this point most of the manufacturers have either, you know, stopped promoting those or, or really relegated that to a um to a side of the of the store or a side of the market that they are they're not gonna spend a lot of time on. Really right now the sound bar is the dominant way that people are going to get sound outside of just using the sound in the television.
0: We have Stephen Baker at the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
10: Are you looking to sell body armor? Want to make extra money selling body armor at your local gun shows? With low minimum buys and great returns, Katie Armor is the answer. Make money in your spare time. It's American-made body armor with the quickest turnaround in the industry, which means you get your product when you need it at very competitive rates. And they'll ship it to you for free. If you own a business, give them a call today at 855 488 Katie That's 855-488-2284. Or go to katiearmor.com Come and take it.
4: That's almost twice the coverage for less than half of what he had paid. If SelectQuote hasn't shopped for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much.
11: For your free quote, call 1-800-403-4885. That's 1-800-403-4885. 1-800-403-4885. Or go to selectquote.com. We shop, you save. Get full details in the example policy at slash Commercials, your price can vary depending on your health, issuing company, and other factors. Not available in all states.
12: live with gene steinberg it's the tech night owl because you never know what's going to happen next
0: On the Tech Night Out Live, we have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. We're discussing briefly audio and a fact that I wasn't aware of, which is that sound bases don't sell all that well, although you have a few companies who do them, such as Zvox. Is there a reason? Is it not convenient for people to just stick their set on top of something?
1: I think that that's that's clearly sometimes an issue, right? Even, even though they're flat, a big TV is pretty heavy. Um, but again, I think most of it is that The focus of the main brands and the main sound companies have been towards uh, soundbars or multi-room audio, and products like sound bases have been kind of a secondary thought. And as I said earlier, right, the soundbar has been uh, really emerged as as a crossover device that both gets that great sound out of your television but also lets you connect uh, other devices to it. And the marketing and focus around that has been much more successful than uh, the sound-based kind of products.
0: That's the story of sound. What about smart TVs with all the apps?
1: So I think there's two ways to think about smart TV. Um, One is we're pretty much at a point where once you get above a certain size, just about every TV is going to be smart. Um, whether you use it or not, again, it's a whole kind of different story. But we definitely are seeing a trend towards more TVs being connected, uh, people using some aspects of those smart televisions to, um, to access services beyond the, the cable company or beyond the TV itself. It's something that the consumers are looking for. It's a checklist item these days. I think uh, what we've seen over the last few years in our surveys is that more and more consumers have said, yes, I want a smart television. Um, I don't think most of them really know what that means or why they want one, but they know enough to know that uh, it makes sense to have the ability to connect your television to the Internet. Um, Maybe you connect it to Netflix or Hulu or some other kind of service but that there's some level of value to that. If, are they downloading a lot of apps and doing a lot of those kind of things on the TV? Um, I think the jury is still out on that, but consumers are definitely thinking about and spending more time connecting uh, their TVs right now.
0: Now, the issue I see that's of concern is the fact that today, tomorrow, next year, the apps on your TV set may be current. But six or seven years down the pike, they're pretty old. Will they be updated? Is that something where, in the end, it's going to be a feature that is going to die?
1: Well, I, you know, it's, not a, it's the same problem you have in almost any device, right? Um, are the developers, is there enough of a volume in that ecosystem for the developers to spend time to upgrade the applications that are supporting that ecosystem. You know, right now, uh, we've been through pretty much all the major TV brands have been through two or three or four different application overlays, whether it's, you know, Tizen or WebOS or even more proprietary products or different flavors of the Android. It hasn't been a seamless experience, but... You know, again, I think if you're a TV company, you don't want to uh, ignore that. You really don't want to sell a television that doesn't have the capability of connection. Um, I think a lot of it will get sorted out. Uh, It's still more of an evolving uh, issue, I think, than a a burning issue for uh, most consumers. But, yeah, um, you know, I think you're certainly – I have a – six-year-old or seven-year-old television, and the, the applications that are six or seven years old, for the most part, are, are either non-starters because the service has been ended or it's not really relevant today the way it was relevant in 2010 uh, in terms of how I, how I use my television.
0: Is there a percentage of people who actually use the smart
1: capabilities? There is. Don't have that off the top of my head, but, you know, more and more TVs are being uh, connected directly uh, to the Internet, not necessarily just through just through their uh, a box or something else. More and more of them are being uh, connected directly. If you hang on one second, I think I have a number right. that I can give you. Uh, We're looking
0: which, here at the number of people, the percentage of people who buy smart TV sets and actually use some apps. And I'm kind of thinking things like Amazon Instant Video and perhaps Netflix are used by far the most.
1: Yeah, about, um, about two-thirds of TVs are, um, are connected, or get connected. The connection rate on TVs is about two-thirds of, of ones that are capable. So they're connected. How much are they actually using them? You know, I I think we'll see what happens over time, but there's clearly demand again for them to be connected.
0: So there it goes, smart TVs. I know I have a TV set with smart capability. I never use the smart capability. It's connected. Okay, <laughs> but I never use it because yeah, I have an Apple TV. And so whatever apps I want, which is mostly iTunes and also Netflix, it suits me fine.
1: Well, you know, this has been a problem for five or six or seven years for the TV guys. Um, We've touched all around it. But, you know, the real question is, do do I need native connectivity in my television when... If I need to upgrade it, as you pointed out, things get old or the television's capabilities don't, don't evolve over time on the hardware side. If I really need to st- continue to access those applications, some of them die. Um, do, am I better off with those applications being native to the television? Uh, and when the, everything isn't working, then I have to go buy a new television. Or am I better off buying a Roku or a, a Amazon Fire TV or an Apple TV, uh, which is much, much cheaper and much easier to upgrade and kind of look at to be able to take care of those capabilities. Um, clearly, in general, we're seeing more and more people uh, buy, buy those boxes alongside the televisions. And more and more people are connecting their televisions through things like those boxes, or through a uh, video game console, or, or something else, and connecting more devices to the television in that way. So, uh, but if if you look at it as a TV manufacturer, you really don't want to abandon the marketplace for connectivity. Uh, there's going to be people who don't want to buy an extra box, and it's probably not good from a marketing perspective to, in this day and age of the Internet of Things and big data, et cetera, to sell a $2,000 device that doesn't have a way for it to natively connect to the Internet.
0: Now, with regard to Apple TV, Apple came out with a new version this past fall. It did not have 4K support, and we'll get into more of this in our next segment. Is that a serious lapse at this point, or was Apple just waiting for the standards for 4K to mm, maybe settle down a little bit? We have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. A little bit later, we'll hear from the iTunes guy himself, Kirk McElhern, with a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. We also want you to check out PlusTechNightOwl.com for the Tech Night Owl Plus special feature. It's a way for you to support the show and get a better quality copy of the show. This is the Tech Night Out Live.
8: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
0: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's Legendary Coupon Code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com, Namecheap.com. Whether it's personal mail, whether it's business email, you want reliable, dependable delivery freedom from spam, freedom from viruses. Well, Polaris Mail offers professional email hosting services for your personal or small business use. Each account uses 25 gigabytes of storage, an easy-to-use webmail interface, and full mobile sync. Sign up today for a 30-day free trial at polarismail.com, polarismail.com.
13: Owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't pick on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill sometimes. I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral.
14: Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180.
15: I'm Jesse Gonzalez, Vice President of Kmart. Did you know that premature birth is the number one killer of babies in the United States? Or that survivors can face a lifetime of serious health problems. But you can help. Join me in Kmart for the March for Babies walk. We'll work together to raise funds for research and programs that help the marginalized fight premature birth and birth defects and improve the health of moms and babies. Start your team today at marchforbabies.org.
17: My dad was 59 when he collapsed from a heart attack late last year. Just this past August was when we spread his ashes on the St. Croix River. I loved my dad, but boy was he stubborn. He hadn't been to the doctor in over 25 years. His excuse? He simply couldn't afford it. He wasn't a rich man by any means. At less than $107 per month, libertyoncall.org would have been the perfect alternative for my father. Don't wait. Go to libertyoncall.org right now. For not just your sake, but for the sake of your loved ones. Again, that's libertyoncall.org. Know
12: what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg.
0: Stephen Baker of the NPD Group, question on the table about Apple and the decision not to have 4K support. Is this something that maybe they didn't just add with firmware?
1: Um, It's it's certainly possible. I don't know enough about uh, the internal hardware in an Apple TV to to know whether they can do that or not. Um, I think it was a a decision that um, that they seem to have already made some decisions around what they were going to do with the new Apple TV that um, put them in a little bit of a different price environment. Than what they had previously been in, prices have gone up uh, pretty substantially on these the new Apple TVs versus the old ones, and you know maybe there was a cost consideration there too that adding uh, 4K would have would have made them want to raise the prices a little bit more, and they kind of felt like they were probably already at the top of the market for these kind of products. So that combined with you know, all the other things we've talked about around content, et cetera, probably made them feel like they they weren't as compelled as Amazon or Roku about adding 4K.
0: So is it possible here Apple's losing sales as a result?
1: I think it's possible, sure. Yeah. The streaming market for players has been kind of flat. It's, um, you know, there's an awful lot of, again, just like on the TV, there's an awful lot of different ways you can connect. uh your television uh, that are uh, considerably cheaper in many respects than what you can do with a box, and so certainly Chromecast has gotten um, an awful lot of uh, traction in the sticks from Roku and the Amazon as well, you know, that are all under $50. Um, you know, so, so there's an awful lot of traction on some of those uh, less expensive products in general. I think that's a challenge in this category when, you know, I think the, the top-of-the-line Apple TV is $179, I believe. Um, 199 199 so that's a challenge in there. Uh, certainly, it does different things and it has different capabilities. But you know, for a lot of people looking for just basic ways to uh, stream and get stuff onto that television, you know, again, Google uh, Chromecast has been a pretty, pretty robust seller for the last couple of years, given that thirty-five dollar price point.
0: Okay. Apple TV. We'll have to explore that further. Let's look at Apple's issues here. So Apple is confronting sales headwinds for iPhone. Are we seeing this in the U.S. as much as overseas?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, we're seeing that the, uh, the overall market, both for Apple and for the um, smartphones in general, is really, in the fourth quarter, really flattened out. Uh, compared to where it had been in last year, when we saw a big increase that was mostly driven, driven by Apple. Our numbers show that Apple's got, you know, in the high 40s to 50 percent of the U.S. smartphone market. So, you know, if the response to the next generation products isn't quite as strong as the previous one. It's it's pretty hard for the market to grow. I think we're also facing a lot of headwinds now that aren't necessarily just result of Apple, but as the uh, carriers have really started to change how they view uh, the value proposition of a phone, we're definitely seeing consumers really start to think about holding on to phones longer. Uh, the fact that they're, they're purchasing them over time typically I think means when you get to the end of that contract cycle given the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we seem to be in a, in a piece of the market where the features probably aren't going to grow and improve as fast as they have in the past. We're seeing consumers say, hmm, look, I can save 25 bucks a month by not getting a new phone right away. And I think we're seeing, you know, more consumers thinking in that way. Well, probably most of the people listening and People like you or I might might think exactly the opposite and say, oh, this is a great way I can trade my phone in and get the new latest and greatest, Uh, but I think the vast majority of consumers are oriented the other way, which is how can I get the most use out of this product for the longest period of time. And, you know, I would add that that's not any different than what, you know, we just talked about with televisions, what we're seeing in computers and tablets and, you know, across lots and lots of different pieces of uh, consumer tech in the U.S. where consumers uh, are looking at these products and saying, I use them a lot, they're really important, uh, but most everybody has the products that they need and the value proposition of buying the new one versus the one I have, that value proposition is declining over time because the feature set and the, the real need to get the new one has really slowed down. Uh, one of the reasons in the U.S. that the consumer electronics market in general isn't much of a growth business anymore Is exactly that, is that the install bases are pretty high, and the turnover, the upgrade cycles have slowed dramatically across all the core types of consumer electronics. So we're
0: in a situation here where actually there's no more as compelling a reason to get the new smartphone.
1: I think it's not. There's an additional cost for most consumers, and... um, they look at that cost, and they look at when the bill comes, and that they, they've they've started to save that money there. And they look at that phone, and it still works just as well as it did three or six or nine months earlier. Then uh, they're um they're not they don't see the need to uh to upgrade. So, in
0: a sense, by unbundling the package, where you pay for the service and then the phone right. separately that may not be working in the favor of smartphone makers. Uh,
1: It's probably not, but I guess, you know, I think that's too broad a statement. Um, I think, say it's not working in their favor, uh, kind of just denies the dynamics of the market. You can't always expect that that the majority of consumers are going to want to continue to always get the newest and the latest and the greatest. And we were kind of in that position for a few years as the technology advanced really rapidly, but the technology's not advancing as rapidly, and pretty much everybody who has one, who wants one, has one. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's the, the basic laws of the market that I think are much more important than uh, any of the other pieces of what's happening in the overall industry. It really is governed by that size of the install base and the real demand for people um, in terms of how fast they want to turn that over. And honestly, what what the other uses for their money is, are they willing to spend that money on a new car or a vacation or or something else? Um, There was a long period of time where, disposable income from consumers went to tech because it was new, it was important, it was something they had to have, they wanted to stay up, they wanted the latest and greatest, and I think we're starting to evolve a little bit differently and evolve a little bit away from that towards maybe a little bit different uh, balance and spending.
0: So we're in a situation here where suddenly the two-year replacement cycle of smartphones isn't happening quite as often.
1: Yes, absolutely. We 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 see that uh, slowing over time.
0: So, is there a average lifespan for a smartphone today before someone buys a new one?
1: Uh, you know, it's it's in the mid twenty month period. So, sometime someplace in the twenty seven thirty month period, I think is probably where we're going to settle out. Uh, you know, I think the advantage phones have versus some of the other pieces of electronics is you use them a lot, you carry them around, they do get some level of wear and tear and abuse. <laughs> so um, there is, at some point, there's a value in replacing it just because you've just used it so much, it's worn out, it's cracked, uh, there's it's chipped, it's dirty, uh, all the reasons that people people sometimes replace things when they get old.
0: So they're not going to replace the smartphone because necessarily there's a new model, but because the old one is well old.
1: Right. Just like, you know, uh, you buy a new car sometimes, not necessarily because the new technology is so great, but. Because the car is just old, and you start to have problems with
0: it. Anyway, you're in the Tech Night Out Live. I'm Gene Steinberg. Our guest this week is Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. A bit later, Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy, joins us.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
14: This is a healthcare alert from the Pain Relief Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one suffers from knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain and have Medicare as your primary insurance, we've got great news. You don't have to suffer any longer. You can immediately qualify for a pain relieving brace at little or no cost to you by calling our 24-7 Pain Relief Hotline at 866-389-0620. Delivery is free and all paperwork is handled for you. If you are on Medicare and have knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain, don't wait. You can qualify to immediately receive a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost by calling our 24-7 pain hotline now at 866-389-0620. Our representatives are standing by 24-7 to take your call and rush you your pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you. Shipping is free and all paperwork is handled for you. Just call 866-389-0620. That's 866-389-0620. Again, 866-389-0620.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: We have Stephen Baker at the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. We we're talking about the fact that people tend to be keeping their smartphones longer, which is hurting sales. And I guess that's true for tablets, too. Yes,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think. well, ta- So, uh, you know, the first thing I think we all need to think about is a lot of people see those tablet declines and don't quite understand them. They say, well, geez, every time I go on a plane or every time I go somewhere, everybody has a tablet and they're using it a lot. And I think we need to be careful to not conflate usage with purchases, right? People are using their tablets a lot, but that doesn't necessarily always translate into the purchase of a new one. Uh, Just as we've been talking about, people use these things and use them for a long time until they decide that it's too old or doesn't serve their needs anymore. That's kind of where we are in the tablet market. I think the usage continues to be a very important part in all sorts of different uh, markets, whether it's shopping or consuming video. But you know, most of those tasks don't necessarily require you to have the latest and greatest, and people are are making those kind of decisions that they don't necessarily want the latest and greatest.
0: So what is the average cycle in terms of longevity of a
1: tablet? I think that's still evolving. I think the other problem we have is that uh, because there's every holiday there's uh, a pretty high percentage of sales and very very low cost ones. Uh, a lot of those don't get used for very long, typically, and then they kind of go into the uh, in a, into a draw but i you know I think if you look at the sales numbers, you would have to say that you know we're probably at a minimum in something around a thirty six month replacement cycle maybe even maybe even longer than that which is kind of getting out towards close to what what a PC is you know PCs right now seem to be in a four or five year replacement cycle um, and I think it's not unreasonable to expect that tablets end up much closer to the PC replacement cycle than they do a phone replacement cycle
0: so is that the big issue with PC sales also that people are keeping them longer and that the differences from year to year aren't as compelling?
1: Yes, I think those things, plus if you look with a little bit longer horizon, maybe you go back seven, eight, or ten years, um, and you think about how people's computing activities have evolved over time, uh, you don't use your computer as much today as you did five or ten years ago. You have other devices, whether it's the phone or tablet or TV with a Roku box, etc, that also makes people reluctant to go out and buy something new all the time because they look and they say well i don 't use this product enough to necessarily want to replace it more frequently, and so I think The other piece of that is the usage issue, which is holding back in terms of people's desire to upgrade. It may be old and it may be a little creaky, but I don't use it enough to think that I really need to get something new. I'd rather take that money and allocate it to something else.
0: So with longer replacement cycles for tablets, PCs, and smartphones, what does Apple do to keep sales up?
1: Well, you have to get into new categories, and clearly they're thinking about that. They're thinking about the Apple TV and those kind of things. And I think if you obviously listen to what they talked about in their uh, financial uh, earnings, you think about now I have an enormous install base and how do I monetize the install base? And I think that's clearly the right way to be thinking Instead of always thinking about how do I accelerate the turnover of the hardware, now it has to be about how do I make more money off the hardware that's already out in the market today.
0: Just accepting reality.
1: Apple's a great company; they make great products. But again, you know, it's not really necessarily the laws of physics, but or the laws of chemistry. But there's a law, right? You get to a certain point, and. It really does get hard to grow, and once everybody has something, or the vast majority of people do, usages start to evolve, and technology evolves, and all the other things we've talked about. So they have a built-in advantage. They clearly understand that, and while they've been exploiting it for a while, I think you're going to see them be much more aggressive, over the next few years about taking advantage of that huge install base that they have that they understand because they own it. They own the hardware and they own the operating system and that gives them a much bigger advantage over their competition, whether it's on the Windows side or on the Android side.
0: What about other products like Apple Watch?
1: They're not going to give up on other hardware opportunities. Uh, You know, obviously Apple is not just a software company and not just a software services company, but a hardware company as well. And if they're going to keep plugging away at those. I think the watch is likely to be a slow burn. Is it going to be as big as phones or something else? I think, you know, hard to know right now. But I think the biggest problem everybody, we we all have with this, is patience. These products take time to socialize and to grow whether it's the financial markets or the analyst markets or the media markets, nobody's very patient anymore with allowing companies to take some time to grow their markets and figure out what the right products are as they develop new categories. I think a great example is if we look at things like home automation, which has been very, very slow for consumers. They really are struggling with a lot of the value propositions in there At some point that leads people to start to say, Nobody cares about this, nobody wants it, we need to move on to the next thing and again I think we we do require a little more patience as we get to more and more saturation in terms of technology and the technology gets maybe to be a little bit more complicated or a little less clear as to what the use case is. It's gonna take longer to make that case to the consumer as to why they want the latest X, Y, or Z watch or a video doorbell or Wi-Fi garage door opener or whatever that is. It's going to take a while. So I think patience is much more important than anything else right now.
0: So Apple has to have lots of patience. Not just
1: the Apple. Like I said, I think the financial people have to have some patience. I think the media have to have some patience. I think the analysts have to have some patience. I think we're all at some level guilty of wanting to proclaim something is successful or not successful five minutes after it's released and most things don't really work like that let's give them some time to find their equilibrium and that time is not always three months or six months it could be two years or three years or five years if we go back to this, the beginning of the discussion we have had today you know people are want to declare that 4k is not very good because there's no content and we've had 4k in quantity for what 18 months that's not a very long time. Let's give it some time to be able to socialize and get out there and let that infrastructure grow and blossom. Stuff just doesn't happen overnight.
0: Now, in terms of adding content, what do we see on the part of the companies who make that content?
1: Adding content in which device? <laughs> I'm not sure if we're back to 4K or if we're uh, uh, All right, 4K
0: TV sets. There's not enough 4K content right now. What's being done?
1: Uh, I think all the studios continue to look at it um, and all the video companies, YouTube, et cetera. And I think we're slowly seeing everyone figure out what that is. There's costs involved with, with equipment, you know, 4K cameras and processing. Uh, all those things take time to um, to get into the market as well. We'll get there. get there, everyone recognizes it, and I think the value proposition that so many people in the next year or two will have access to a device that can play back 4K means that the um, audience for 4K content is going to be pretty large right off the bat. So, you know, the idea that I have to wait, it's pretty clear unlike let's say 3d where it wasn't quite as clear when there was going to be a um, you know big enough install base to monetize it's pretty clear that the 4k install base is going to be there to monetize and it's going to be there in 2017 and 2018
0: we've got one more segment with stephen baker of the npd group on the tech night Now live <laughs> Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's Legendary Coupon Code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on the special deal at Namecheap.com. Namecheap.com. First game, Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed
2: success. And now there is The Coming of the Protectors, a former Military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R O C K O I D S.com.
18: Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house?
10: If Survivalist Housing has been in your plans, get ready. We're bringing our Timberline Range Camps to you February 6th through 14th. The Great American Outdoor Show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Get an up-close look at some of our most popular Timberline models or visit survivalistcamps.com to pre-order a camp. We'll bring it to the show and save you the cost of shipping. It's the perfect time to get that camp you've wanted. Go to survivalistcamps.com, then plan on joining us at the Great American Outdoor Show in February in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania.
19: Hi, Peter Vaccaro for paranormaldate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at paranormaldate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife and so much more. Paranormaldate.com was developed for you, people seeking a viable alternative to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to paranormaldate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code george for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. ParanormalDate.com. And use the code GEORGE if you decide to connect with someone you like.
20: Greetings, Phenomenal Ones. This is Dr. Jeremiah C. Hackley of Phenomenal Center. I want to invite you to the Phenomenal Health and Healing Conference in the city of Knoxville, February the 7th and the We have coming Dr. Joel Wallach. He is a two-time Nobel Prize nominee, the Humanitarian Award winner for natural medicine, featured at the United Nations, and has 75 peer reviews published in health journals. Dr. Wallach has an answer for you. Call us right now. We only have 100 seats, 865-851-7269. Health is not a matter of chance, but it is a matter of choice. Call us right now, 865-851-7269.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at owl.com That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes.
0: We have Stephen Baker of the NPD Group. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Moving on, what about Apple Pay and now Samsung Pay?
1: Okay, okay. Again, you know, let's go back to what we are just talking about. Saul burn it takes time for consumers to understand what the technology is, to get comfortable with it, for the infrastructure to grow, and for it to figure out what the value proposition is. And, you know, I think we're still in the early stages there as well what the winning technology is going to be, or if there has to be one winning technology, uh, you know, there's Visa and MasterCard and Discover and American Express. There's lots of different ways for, for people to pay with things and cash too, I guess. You know, there, there's likely to be multiple ways and multiple technologies that people are going to use in the future to pay as well.
0: So is that the problem with so many different methods of pay? Is that make it more confusing to customers or more flexible?
1: At the initial stages, it makes it more confusing. At the later stages, it will make it more flexible. But today, we're clearly at the initial kind of shakeout stages, and that's confusing and scary for, for the mainstream consumer who doesn't really know what the right solution is that they should pick. And right now, most of them are being presented as either or or which also makes it very difficult, I think, for mainstream consumers to make a decision there. They don't know what the right uh, decision is. What
0: about things like CarPlay, Android Auto?
1: Again, I think, you know, those are great opportunities. We're in the early stages there as well. Those are being socialized through the higher-end automobiles, and we're starting to see them in more mainstream cars. Cars, obviously an area of focus for everybody in technology, um, whether it's driverless or electric or just how it can be connected to the rest of the connected devices that you have. I think that's the same challenge as we just talked about with payment, which is, you know, people are... Concerned about being locked into one technology versus another, they don't necessarily understand those different technologies. Um, you know, uh, do we want to get do you want to get to a point where you can't buy a BMW because it's an Android car and you own an iPhone? Yeah. Maybe we will get to that in that environment at some point. But you know, you're starting to get a whole bunch of technologies that come together to try to help. Force you into making a decision one way or another. And I think at those points in time is when there's a lot of disruption and confusion in the marketplace. And I think we're kind of in that position right now.
0: What I'm noticing here is that car makers who offer CarPlay also offer the Android counterpart.
1: If there's technological ways to do that, I think that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't think as a car maker you want to limit your uh, customer base to one kind of technology or another, and there needs to be some way to manage the, the freedom to be able to, to access um, the, the mobile technology that the consumer wants to use. That's an argument, by the way, again, going back to what we were talking about before, right? That's the same kind of argument about putting... Um, Putting, uh, making a smart TV and putting apps on the television versus putting it in a box. You keep your car a long time. Um, is it really upgradable? Is it really changeable? Um, do I want to be locked into Android Auto versus CarPlay? Or should there be a better way, or should it be most more of the focus uh, from a car, which I'm going to keep four to eight or ten years, should the focus be more on the outside device so that I can bring that device into the car and make it more easier for the car to connect with that specific device. Um, There's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, Again, I think we're not necessarily at a point where everyone has uh, kind of worked through all those challenges yet
0: what about a real apple car do you see that as possible
1: uh i suppose it is you know they've never tried anything i think as big and bold as that and they are a big and bold company so it would be kind of interesting i think you know you're talking about a business that doesn't do anywhere near the kind of volume on a item basis, I don't know what else to call it, but on a per unit basis as they're used to. Um obviously has much higher prices, very different distribution. Um feels like it would be very difficult for a company to try to enter into the to the automobile manufacturing um ecosystem. And certainly Tesla has had its challenges in doing that from from a dealership perspective and from a pricing perspective. There's an awful lot of overhead and an awful lot of work that goes into that. I think the, the jury is out whether the right idea is to go all the way and build your own cars and sell them, or is it much better to find a way to Uh, help create the technology that's going to drive the next generation of automobiles. That might be a little bit more profitable. It's probably not as big a revenue number. It's probably a little bit more challenging in terms of having to sell to other kinds of companies as opposed to holding all the cards in your hand the way building your own car would would be. So I think it's still too soon. You know, again, we all like to speculate on stuff. Clearly, we're at a runway where we're really not talking about stuff showing up for three or four more years at the, at the earliest.
0: So, what do you think is Apple's game plan?
1: I think that they are exploring all those different avenues. I think for them to understand how to best partner with manufacturers, they probably feel like they need to understand the entire process. They look at the technology, and I think they feel like they have some expertise there to help develop it. I think in the long run, though, if you look at their kind of business model, that would kind of argue that they would like to be able to build and own their own car and own their own ecosystem. I think that when you look out, though, there's a lot of challenges with uh, making that decision. And, you know, I don't think anybody knows enough about how they would get to that final point. The other thing I would add around that, which is that there's an, it's much more of a regulated environment. There's a lot of other pieces of the environment of building your own car that Apple or Google or anyone else, doesn't isn't necessarily very familiar with and doesn't always fit very well into their business model.
0: Stephen so, Baker, please tell our listeners where we can find more of your stuff.
1: Sure. Uh, www.npd.com is our uh, corporate website.
0: Stephen Baker, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live.
1: Thanks a lot, Gene. Appreciate it. <laughs>
13: Owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't pick on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill sometimes. I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral.
14: Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180.
5: Are you sneezing, coughing, and aching? have a sore throat, a fever, or the sniffles? There's no reason to be sick this cold and flu season with immune system support from Supernatural Silver. Supernatural Silver can give your body the help it needs to fight off harmful pathogens without hurting beneficial gut flora and without leaving behind resistant bacteria. Antibiotics can damage good microflora and often leave behind bacteria which can cause problems later on. If you're sick of being sick, try Supernatural Silver. Supernatural Silver, the number Number 1 choice of thousands for a safe and effective way to protect against the many diseases and illnesses that we are facing today. Go to supernaturalsilver.com, read our customer reviews and see the life-changing results that people are having. That's supernaturalsilver.com. supernaturalsilver.com. Use the promo code PROTECTED for 20% off your entire order and
6: like us on Facebook. Supernatural Silver. Removing bad taste and odor from your drinking water is easy. Removing the bad stuff you don't taste is what ProPure does best. Water the way nature meant it to be. Clean, crisp, and refreshing. See the complete line of ProPure countertop, inline gravity, and household water filtration products. Visit your authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com. That's P R O P U R U S A.com. Or call 800 544 3533.
21: What's going to happen next?
12: You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg.
0: So as most of you know, who have listened to the first part of the show. I'm getting over a flu or in the middle stage of having a flu. And thus I probably sound unwell. Is that a good way of saying it, Kirk McElhern?
22: Yeah, you, sound, you you sound surprisingly different than your usual bubbly self.
0: Well I could use something with bubbles
22: in it. <laughs> that might help actually. Get get yourself a, a stiff drink. I don't drink. Oh, okay. Well, get Not yourself a stiff cup of tea. That well, might be.
0: I might grab something in a moment. There's a piece you wrote a review of a book about an epidemic of absence, a new way of understanding allergies and autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. And since I'm diseased right now, some people You're, think I'm a disease maniac.
22: You are diseased. Um, th- this, is, this isn't about the flu and things like that. Of course, it could affect it. Um, so as I say in my article, I, I developed allergies and mild asthma about a half a dozen years ago, and I kind of wondered why did this suddenly come on? Um, In in the past, I would have sort of occasional hay fever, but I never needed to take antihistamines or anything like that. And I'm a curious guy, you know, and and I find science is is really interesting. So I stumbled on this book on Amazon. um, As you say, it's called An Epidemic of Absence. What it does is it looks at the, what some might call, alarming increase in autoimmune diseases... And it tries to find out why we're getting more of these diseases. Now, autoimmune diseases are the kind of disease where your body, your body's immune system reacts against your body. And, and this includes things like allergies and asthma, but also multiple sclerosis, um, rheumatoid arthritis, and, and all the other types of arthritis, thyroid diseases, um, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, fibromyalgia, etc. The author even suggests that obesity... Um, is an inflammatory disease, which I find interesting. Maybe we can do a sidebar on that later. So basically what he's done is he's, he's looked at this, uh, and the author himself has an autoimmune disease called um, alopecia areata. Have you ever seen people who have no hair?
0: A lot of people have no hair.
22: No, I mean no hair at all. No hair on their heads, no eyebrows, nothing. Um, that's That's a disease, it's an autoimmune disease where this guy's body's immune system attacks his hair follicles. So he was curious about this, you know, for his own personal health situation. He looked into all sorts of uh, research that's been done and a number of things. And, you know, scientists have known for a while that if kids grow up on farms, they're exposed to more pollen and, and more microbes from animals and they have fewer allergies and less asthma. And if you extend this... Basically, this is a, like a 350-page book with another 100-page of notes. Um, you essentially discover that there's been a lot of research into things such as bacteria and even parasites that we used to have in our bodies and we no longer have. So the hypothesis here is that since we have gotten clean, and this includes clean water, um, we've eliminated things that are pathogens in our body that our immune system is used to reacting against and now that we no longer have these pathogens the immune system is still sort of reacting against something and it's overreacting in many people
0: so you have to have the presence of things like this to build your immunity system
22: yes that's what he's saying and and he even talks about how um A mother's immune system affects the children, Um, the way children are born, the fact that more children are born in C-section these days, so they're less exposed to bacteria that comes through a vaginal birth.
0: Let's talk about C-sections briefly. Is that a cop-out? They tried to do that with Grayson. When my wife was giving birth to Grayson, C-section, C-section, she said, is there any reason to do that? We switched doctors. And she had vaginal delivery, and it was fine.
22: Yeah. Yeah. From what I understand, I really know very little about this, but it's grown in popularity for a number of reasons. You can schedule a birth. Apparently, there are fewer complications. So, I mean, obviously, it it was initially um, the the idea of it. Cesarean section comes from back um, Julius Caesar. Um, It was because the birth wasn't going well, and they realized that there was another way to get the baby out. And so there are You know, babies born where they need this. But uh, I think in the book, he mentions that in some countries, it's like 40 or 50 percent of births are done by C-section, which is excessive because it is a a more serious procedure. And the baby isn't exposed to all these bacteria on the way out. Now, what they're actually starting to do in some places is they swab the mother's vagina to get the bacteria and they put the swab on the baby's mouth and nose and face. Because apparently, this initial bacteria that the babies are exposed to is extremely important for their immune systems. The best of both worlds. Yeah. But the, the whole concept here is interesting. And, and one of the things he points out, one of the examples, um, if you link to my article, Um, listeners will see that there's a TED talk by the author of the book. And one of the examples he gives is um, type 1 diabetes in Finland compared to Karelia, which is a region of Russia that borders on the northeastern border of Finland, I think, or on the eastern side. Now, these are people who are genetically similar. Um, You know, it's really one side of the border to the other. Very wealthy Finland and very poor Karelia. Um, The Finns have something like five times as much type 1 diabetes, and the Corellians have fewer autoimmune diseases in general. Um, The main difference seems to be the Finns drink very clean water, and the Corellians drink water from rivers and wells that probably has some parasites in it. So one of the big points here is that we developed, we got used to having these parasites, and now that they're gone, our bodies are reacting differently. Now, taken to the extreme, and this is um, a sort of a theme through the book in, in the introduction and then toward the end of the book, a number of people are deliberately exposing them to parasites, and one in particular called a hookworm, which I'd never heard of. And they're getting results against some diseases where medis, you know, medical science simply can't treat them. Um, I absolutely do not recommend... My, my point of writing about this book is I find the, the topic very interesting. I would be very hesitant myself to infect myself with a worm, but the author points out a number of experiments and studies that show that this does work in a large number of people. So it's, it's you know, the, the, when germ theory came along, um, doctors thought, we've got the answer. We get rid of the germs and everything's fine. And then, of course, overuse of antibiotics, um, germs becoming resistant. And now we're finding that most people, you know, we have like 10 trillion um, bacteria cells in our body, 10 times as many as we have human cells. Um, we're basically vessels for bacteria. So if we get rid of a lot of that bacteria, have, have we evolved in such a way to live without this bacteria, which is really essential for us.
0: So what we consider bad may turn out to be good.
22: Well, what we consider bad in a sort of painting everything with the same brush may turn out to be good. Um, I was chatting online with a friend of mine earlier, um, and and he read the article. And we were saying that when we were kids, you know, we would play in the dirt. We didn't worry about anything like that. And a lot of kids now, you know, their, their parents are really obsessed with cleanliness, and they have these um, antibacterial gels and soaps and everything. And, and kids are overclean. You know, when, I, when you and I were young, did we know a lot of kids with ear infections? That wasn't something that happened a lot. I know when, when our kids were growing up, it was common. My son never had an ear infection. Um, but when when my son was growing up, a lot of the kids in his school had ear infections. I don't ever remember any of my friends when I was young having those.
0: Hmm. So being old-fashioned is not so bad in the first place.
22: Yeah, Um well, it's not so much old fashioned. it's understanding that you know there's a pendulum in in a lot of things in medicine. Um, we go one way, we go the other way, we realize something's good, something's bad. Um, and and it is you know there there is a marked rise in all these diseases. I mentioned obesity before. Uh, you know, I've always wondered what what is the thing that changed between my teenage years in the 70s, and I guess around the 90s, when all of a sudden, everyone started getting obese. Um, again, when you and I were growing up, I, there were maybe two kids in my high school who you would call obese. I don't know, maybe six, because I didn't see them all. And I was in a high school with 4,000 people.
0: Let's pursue obesity and more. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night on Live. <laughs>
17: My dad was 59 when he collapsed from a heart attack late last year. Just this past August was when we spread his ashes on the St. Croix River. I loved my dad, but boy was he stubborn. He hadn't been to the doctor in over 25 years. His excuse? He simply couldn't afford it. He wasn't a rich man by any means. At less than $107 per month, LibertyOnCall.org would have been the perfect alternative for my father. Don't wait. Go to LibertyOnCall.org right now. For not just your sake, but for the sake of your loved ones. Again, that's LibertyOnCall.org.
4: Water is the single most important thing your body needs. So you want to be sure it's the best for you and your family. Since 2005, thousands have depended on Berkey Purified Water. The Berkey Guy provides the lowest price filtration systems in every size. For incredibly delicious water now and in an emergency, get to GoBerkey.com or call 877-886-3653. 877-886-3653. GoBerkey.com.
15: Today, more than ever, it's imperative that you protect your digital privacy. EDEC Digital Forensics Signal Blocking Anti-Radiation Anti-Surveillance Faraday Bags Shield the contents of your phones, tablets, and key fobs from 4G, Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, NFC, and more. Find us at EDECDF.com slash radio or call us now at 805-222-4584. That's 805-222-4584. Radio listeners get 20% off your order.
23: You get to be the boss. Get out of the rat race. Work from home. Go to Freedom106.com right now and change your life today. That's Freedom, the number 106.com. Go to Freedom106.com and start earning money as soon as next week. You be the boss. Go to Freedom106.com.
24: This is Dan Pilla. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Are tax debts crippling you? I've defended people from the IRS for over 30 years. You never know what's going to happen
12: next while listening to The Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: Kind of unusual for our show, but it's interesting here about obesity and other conditions, which seem to be much worse now than they used
22: to be. Yeah, so you grew up in Brooklyn, right? Sure. Where did you go to high school?
0: Just a regular high school. Yeah, so a a
22: big enough high school, right? Um, Thousands
0: of students, yeah.
22: Yeah, so I I went to Jamaica High School in Queens, which is closed a few years ago. And I think it was the largest high school in New York City. It had 4,000 kids. And I rarely remember seeing, uh, you know, we called them fat back then. We didn't use the word obese. But I rarely remember seeing kids who were overweight. We used to eat pizza and drink Coke you know, by the gallon, and, and we'd get these bags of White Castle hamburgers and everything. So we ate a lot of food, um, yet you didn't see any obesity. So one of the one of the speculations in here, the, the author says obesity is an inflammatory disease, and in part, um, it has to do with the fact that too many kids are getting antibiotics, and there's antibiotics in food that gets into humans as well, and that somehow this is unbalanced the immune system and turned into um, this sort of inflammatory disease. And obesity, and I remember reading in some other book that the author said that obesity wasn't, it wasn't that people eat a lot so they get fat, it's people are fat so they're hungry and they eat a lot. So these are really complicated diseases, obviously. It's a um, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I've always felt the obesity thing is one of these sort of like a 19th century temperance crusade. It's blaming people for something that they've done wrong, that people don't have the willpower and all that. And I know a couple of obese people, and they, don't necessarily, they didn't necessarily get that way um, because they pigged out.
0: That's interesting. A lot of people who are obese do claim, I'm not eating too much food.
22: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing a documentary last year on the BBC, and it was in the States, and they were looking at obese kids and how they were trying to get these kids to lose weight. And it was this one poor kid. who was maybe 12 years old and like 250 pounds or something, and they had him walking and running, and nothing made him lose weight. Um, and, and even when you look at how much exercise it would take, you know, how many calories you need to burn to lose a pound of fat, um, it's far more than you can easily exercise.
0: Well, that's true. So is that why we have extremes here where some people undergo rather crazy surgery?
22: Well, you know, that works for some people. Um, and and I know someone, and you know the person too, who who had that surgery, I think a year or so ago, and it has done wonders for him. So it does work for some people. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of it depends on how the people react afterwards. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know enough about this. But, you know, it does work for some people, so there's, there's got to be some sort of a reason why that works. Maybe, again, I don't know, when they cut out part of your stomach, maybe you get new bacteria. Who knows? Who knows?
0: Is it the stomach bacteria that's not doing its job?
22: Well, see, that's even another thing. You've heard of the bacteria they call Helicobacter pillory. This is the one that they found caused ulcers, and apparently it also has a protective function. So fewer people have it, and this could be related to some of these autoimmune diseases, um, because if you got an ulcer because of this bacteria, they would just give you antibiotics to kill off the ulcer. You know, when, when, again, I'm going back, when we were growing up, even our parents' generation were taught that ulcers were caused by stress, and, and I think it was in the 1980s that they found that that wasn't the case. It was caused mostly by a bacterium, but now that that bacterium has been eradicated for the most part, um, its protective features are no longer there. So uh, you know it's kind of whack a mole, right? You get rid of one problem, you get rid of one problem, and you come up with another. Yeah. Now te- you know this is a tech um, show here, the Tech Night Owl. And technically speaking, this isn't about technology, but when you look at it, it actually is because this is all the technology of researching and analyzing things, which is you know it's not that different from the troubleshooting we do with computers. It's infinitely more complex. Um, but it's the same sort of thing. And in many ways it's technology that's allowing people to make these discoveries because of the way they're able to test, the way they're able to do research and all that.
0: So is there a road back because it seems like we've done things in the interests of making us healthier, living longer, are not having that positive effect.
22: I I mentioned earlier that some people are infecting themselves with hookworms. Um, One therapy that's being used and that apparently has an incredible success rate um, is what's called a fecal transplant. You take someone's turds and you put them in a capsule and you give them to someone else. So you take Um, feces from a healthy person and you give them to a sick person. And there is a particular bacterium called C. difficile, which is resistant to almost every antibiotic, and I think the figures are like 90% of people are cured by a fecal transplant. Basically, you're adding the type of bacteria that can kill off this bad bacteria by taking someone's feces. There was an article in the New York last year about this, which was really quite interesting, and this is turning into If not quite a mainstream treatment, one that's particularly used with this specific um, infection.
0: So, is that why dogs sometimes want to eat another dog's feces?
22: You know, another point um, made in the book is that mice eat feces and a number of animals do. And perhaps this is a way of them getting a more diverse. Um, what they call microbiome which is the sort of all of the bacteria into their body Um, if you if your uh, feces has different bacterium than your neighbors if you eat some of theirs you're going to get some of their bacteria so it probably has some sort of protective function I mean dogs sniff turds a lot but do they actually eat them I've never owned a dog okay so so there could be some sort of a instinctive reason for them to want to do that. Maybe if a dog does it, maybe it means they're not well and they're seeing it as a kind of medicine.
0: That which is intuitive is not intuitive.
22: No. No. But what what's interesting is that uh, a lot of what's talked about in this book started out as just basic observations, like why do people in sub-Saharan Africa not have many allergies or asthma. And in one country, I don't remember which country it was, all of a sudden some people started getting allergies and asthma, but these were the people who were better off who were drinking clean water. And you had local doctors or you know doctors from charities who were working in these um, third world countries who were looking at this saying, what's the difference between these people? And they they sort of Sherlock Holmes the, the, the situation and figured out that there were these differences, and started doing small tests and small studies, um, enough to give 350 pages in this book that makes it a pretty interesting hypothesis. Now, when I read something like this, the, the author's it, relatively skeptical. This isn't one of these books, you know, follow this um, diet and you'll be cured. It's not at all that. This is pure science journalism. As I said, there's 100 pages of notes. Um, it's pretty heavy-going at times. And I I would almost like to read a rebuttal to this book from other doctors who explain why some of these things might not be true. And and this is actually one of the problems with science journalism, that when you've got a subject like this, it kind of, it it would help to see the other side and and not someone who's just gonna dismiss it, say, oh, it's stupid, I don't believe it, but someone else who's done studies that maybe disprove some of the things that are presented.
0: Okay. Once again, the book is called...
22: An Epidemic of Absence, A New Way of Understanding Allergies and Autoimmune Diseases.
0: There you go. Let's talk about understanding why the iPad sales are falling.
22: Yeah. So that's another interesting question. Um, There are all sorts of hypotheses. And so... On my website, I linked to an article um, that Jason Snell wrote for Macworld, and I made some comments on it. Um, What's really interesting is if you look at Jason's article on Macworld and you see this curve of sales going down and down and down and down and down for 11 straight quarters, um, it's pretty much not what we hear a lot about Apple you know, the iPhone um, has been going up constantly, the Mac's been going up constantly. The iPod went up and then went down, whereas the iPad went up very quickly and then started going down and down and down and down. Um, How many iPads do you have in your house?
0: Exactly one. And we'll get into more of this in a moment. Why iPad sales are falling. We have Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy, who owns, what, a couple
22: of iPads? Um, three, three altogether. One that I don't really use.
0: All right, more to come on the Tech Night Out live.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com dot com today.
0: As you know, neighbors, web hosting can be pretty cheap, but not all hosting is the same. DreamHost wins best of awards year after year. You get unlimited disk space, unlimited bandwidth, and even the low-cost plans put your sites on high-performance SSDs. Want to know more about what DreamHost has to offer? Go to technightowl.com host. Once again, that's technightowl.com host.
7: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: Kirk McElhern has three iPads, but only uses two. Why?
22: Well... So I have an iPad Air 2, which is the most recent one. My partner has an iPad 3, so that's the first Retina. And I also have the first iPad Mini, which I only use for occasional testing. It's not a Retina. Um, It's only 16 gigs. I should have sold it a long time ago, but I keep it around just in case. So it's like the machine if I want to install uh, an iOS beta or something like that.
0: The one you use to take chances, you know, messing uh, up.
22: Exactly. So basically, in in my household, we have two iPads. Um, my partner uses her iPad all the time. She doesn't have a computer. She does everything on her iPad or her iPhone, but she prefers using the iPad because of the size of the display. Now, this is an iPad 3, so I think that makes it four years old. There's no reason to update it. I mean, for me, as someone who writes about these things, I want to try and keep current. So... When I bought the first iPad Air, I gave her my iPad 3. When the second iPad Air came out, my son was still, I think, using an iPad 2. So I gave him the first iPad Air, and I upgraded to the Air 2. I wouldn't have upgraded if you know, it was a birthday present for him, so it was good timing. Um, you can use an iPad that's years old. It's not that slow. You, you may have storage uses, depending on what you want to put in it, and you know, I'd say as long as it's got a retina display, you're golden. There's really no reason to upgrade it. You may want to change from a, a full-size to a mini or a mini to a full-size to a pro or whatever, but there's really no other reason um, to upgrade an iPad that is at least at least has a retina display.
0: So is that the issue? People just don't want to buy new ones?
22: Well, part of it is that people don't want to buy new ones, that you don't need a new one. Jason makes four points. First one, he says there's no new, new iPad Air. I don't think that's keeping people from upgrading. Um, if people have an old enough iPad and they do want to upgrade, they would. Then he says another point is nobody wants iPads. And, and basically, it's very possible that the, the majority of people who want a tablet already own one. Most people do most or all of their computing on a smartphone. Um, they may have a computer at home. They may have a computer at work. But you can do most of what you need to do on a smartphone, except for you and me, you know, the professional stuff. If you're happy with your smartphone, you may not want an iPad at all. You may not want a tablet. You may not want to spend the money for it. You know, why have a second device that you just simply replaces your existing device? Obviously, the display is smaller and all that. But for a lot of people, they just don't want it. So the third point is they don't need to be upgraded. And the fourth point, he says that Chromebook, each iPad eats netbook. And that's interesting. So we had the netbook a few years ago, and the iPad came in and took that over. But what's happening now in education um, is the Chromebook is the thing. Um, a friend of mine, his two daughters go to school in Portland, and they use Chromebooks in their school. And they ask him to buy them Chromebooks, not to buy them iPads. And Jason says the same thing. He says his daughter loves her Chromebook and turned down his offer of an iPad Air too.
0: Wow. What is the advantage of it?
22: Of the Chromebook?
0: Yes. What's the advantage of the Chromebook?
22: Well, the, the Chromebook is a small laptop. They're very cheap. You can get one for a few hundred dollars. And they don't all have a touchscreen display, but many of them do. So you can enter data on a keyboard or you can t- use a touchscreen. Um, kind of like the Surface. You know that the Surface that folds backwards, where you can use it as a pure tablet or you can use it as a laptop. Now, of course, the Chromebook is pretty much just a Google device, and you've got to have internet access. Um, I don't even know if you can install things like games on them. I've I've never used one. Um, But they're big in education, and, you know, what kids get used to when they're in school is what they're more tempted to want as they move on high school, college, and after.
0: And is part of it the fact that the Chromebook is cheap cheaper than the iPad, which is why Apple has to deal with that competition?
22: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a big element. And, you know, Apple has never competed on price, but they may have to if they want to keep the iPad going, and particularly for the education market. Um, if you remember, I, did, I don't remember if it was with you that we were talking about the iOS 9.3 preview a few weeks ago. Um, one of the big features there is a sort of multiple-user system on the iPad, which makes an iPad a thin client that it can immediately connect to a computer and get all of a given user's data. Um, so Apple's clearly interested in providing resources for the education market, but they're just going to have to drop the price. If a Chromebook costs half the price, and some of them do, um, you know, schools, they're very price-conscious.
0: Especially nowadays,
22: well, I think anytime, and and, you know, this is it's probably more an issue for grade schools and, say, um, high schools or universities, where kids might be doing more and and the iPad might be more appropriate. But I'm, I'm hearing from an awful lot of people who are saying that their kids have Chromebooks in their schools and that the Chromebooks have taken over. A bunch of years ago, it was iMacs in schools, and that was really popular. Um, and Apple even made some sort of low-end versions of the iMac that they didn't sell to um, regular customers, only to the education market. And that's kind of gone by the wayside pretty quickly now. Would I upgrade my iPad? Absolutely not. I can't see any compelling reason. The, The price of the iPad Pro, I think, is just a joke. I think it's fine if you're a design professional and you need to work with the pencil on the iPad. That's great. But for an average user, it's just a joke. There's nothing that could get me to upgrade my iPad tomorrow. Uh, I've got the Air 2, it's thin, it's light, it's a retina display, I've got 64 gig storage, it's all I need. So I, I can't see what Apple can do to the iPad to make it that compelling without dropping the price. You know, it's, it's not 3D touch that's going to make a difference. Um, I mean, it's already got Touch ID, It's the Touch ID is slower than the iPhone 6S, but that's not a problem. Um, It supports Apple Pay already, the the Air 2. So it's very hard to find features that would make a big difference for a lot of users.
0: So what's the future of the iPad?
22: Well, as people lean more towards large phones, as a a certain percentage of people lean toward large phones, um, they don't need a tablet. So if you take an iPhone 6 Plus, it's not that much smaller than an iPad mini. And if you've got a 6 Plus, more power to you. I I could never use that. You you don't need a tablet. And as long as people can do what they need to do on their phone, the tablet is pretty superfluous. Personally, I use my iPad for a couple things. I like to read the news on an iPad. It's easier than a phone. Um, I sometimes watch Netflix or something in bed. And that's basically it. And again, if I didn't write about this stuff, I wouldn't have upgraded. I might not even, you know, want to use an iPad very much.
0: iPad. So does Apple eventually have to give it up or work within the constraints?
22: I can't see them giving it up, um, at least not anytime soon. Um, What will be interesting is will Apple, um, will they be flexible in pricing? You know, when, when you see Apple's, um, the, Apple's latest financials, what was it, a 39% profit margin across the board? I mean, that's an awful lot. I'm, I'm looking at the, so the iPad Air 2, let's take the middle model, right, the 64 gig Wi-Fi only. It's $600. Now, if they've got a 40% profit margin, they could cut that profit margin in half and sell it for $500, maybe even a little bit less. But that's still a big ask. To get someone to spend five hundred bucks for a device that, you know, it, it's no not that much better than the model they have, or doesn't do enough to be compelling um, at that price. I, it, you know, we, we saw the iPod go up, and it went up for a long time, and then it started slowing down after the iPhone came in. So what? Two thousand one, iPhone was two thousand seven. The iPod, I guess, peaked around two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um maybe the iPad will remain a niche product a, a hobby like the Apple TV and it will never become as utilitarian as it might have. You know, at, at the same time Amazon's selling a $50 tablet.
0: Let's go uh, into that in a moment. I'm the tech night now live. <laughs> Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code. They're offering substantial hosting discounts on shared hosting, business hosting, VPS hosting, reseller hosting, and even dedicated servers. Namecheap is preferred by millions. It's backed by a money-back guarantee. Use the coupon code LEGENDARY to cash in on this special deal at Namecheap.com Namecheap.com. First game, Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a critically acclaimed success.
2: And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man has contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on her distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and the coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S, dot com.
18: Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To
11: receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-704-6182.
20: Greetings, Phenomenal Ones. This is Dr. Jeremiah C. Hackley of Phenomenal Center. I want to invite you to the Phenomenal Health and Healing Conference in the city of Knoxville, February the 7th and the 8th. We have coming Dr. Joel Wallach. He is a two-time Nobel Prize nominee, the Humanitarian Award winner for natural medicine featured at the United Nations, and has 75 peer reviews published in health journals. Dr. Wallach has an answer for you. Call us right now. We only have 100 seats. 865-851-7269. Health is not a matter of chance, but it is a matter of choice. Call us right now. 865-851-7269.
0: is it worth it?
22: Yeah. Um, So Amazon has a $50 tablet now. It's, I think it's a 6.7 inch tablet. It's thick and clunky. I I actually bought one and I ended up returning it because it just didn't, it just wasn't useful for me. Um, But I was curious to try it out. Um, It's a $50 tablet. I mean, that's pretty cheap when you think about it. And Amazon's been quite aggressive with all this. And, and you know, obviously they want to sell these tablets for people who are consuming media from Amazon. This is music and videos and, and, and Kindle books and all that. Um, the $50 tablet, it's not a bad deal for people who want a tablet to just toss on a table and use when they need. Um, and even if you look up at the more expensive tablet that they have, um, let's see, $180 for, what is this, a 10-inch um, Fire tablet. Um, they've got a, a full range of things now. They even have a $100 tablet for kids. It comes in a, a, a sort of um, shock-absorbent case. And what they say on their website, if they break it, we'll replace it. No questions asked. So for $100, you're getting a tablet for your kid with a guarantee that if it breaks, it's a two-year guarantee, if it breaks, they'll exchange it. That's a pretty good offer from Amazon.
0: Now, I understand with Amazon, they're not making a profit for a $50 tablet.
22: Of course not. They're breaking even, but they're getting more people. See, Amazon's long-term strategy is Prime. They want people to buy Prime because it gives them you know, a guaranteed income, and it gets people to buy more at Amazon. When you've got Prime with free delivery, you're more likely to buy one thing that would have cost you a few bucks for delivery if you didn't have Prime. With Prime, you get video, you get music, you get all sorts of other things. Um, so I think that that Prime is the is the big thing that they're aiming at, and you know all the all the Amazon tablets are designed to point you toward Amazon for shopping, for videos, for music, and for Kindle books, for Audible audiobooks, because they own Audible as well. They don't need to make a profit, a- and we know that they've never made a profit, um, or did they? Maybe they just made a small profit last quarter, but every dollar they make goes into expansion. Their their shareholders aren't thinking the same way Apple's shareholders are. So, you know, this 10-inch tablet, $180, they can pretty much sell it at cost and not have to worry.
0: Does that mean that Apple has to figure out a different way to sell tablets? So maybe the profits are a little less, but not really that low.
22: Well, the iPad is still positioned as the high-end tablet. I know there are some Android tablets that come close, but the iPad is still, you know, probably the most expensive. I don't think Apple's directly competing with Amazon, but I think they're directly competing with the tablet market in general. Uh, Over here, one of the supermarket chains a couple years ago was already selling a tablet, like a 7-inch tablet for £100, which then was cheap. I think they sell it for like £60 now. It's become a commodity as the smartphone has, you know, you can buy an Android phone for less than a hundred bucks or a Windows phone. The question is, you know, with the iPhone, people still want iPhones. and, And up until the last quarter, iPhone sales were going up and they're starting to decrease. With the iPad, they've been decreasing for three years. And it's kind of interesting to see Apple not able to address this. Maybe Apple just assumes that a product like this has a certain lifespan and they're not too worried about it. They'll sell what they sell because, hey, the, the iPad business is, I don't know, 20 billion, 40 billion a year I mean, some you know, massive amount of money. And Jason Snell's article says this, 20 billion dollars a year in revenue. It could be a separate company, which would be, you know, a very a fairly large hardware company. Um, so Apple kind of drowns all this in its overall sales, and I guess they don't worry too much. Um, but there is a point when they're going to have to make a decision. Instead of offering a more expensive tablet, the iPad Pro, they're going to have to come up with something a little bit cheaper.
0: Find a more efficient way to manufacture it.
22: Well, I don't know about that, because if their if their profit margin is forty percent across the board, they've got the efficiency. Um, it's a, a really it's a question of. It's just it's price. So I'm looking at the the Amazon tablets, right? So for 150, you get an eight inch tablet. For 180, you get a 10 inch tablet. And two things that Apple doesn't offer: um, you can get, uh, let's look at the 10 inch one. You can get either 16 or 32 gigs storage built in, but you can expand this up to 128 with an SD card. You also get free unlimited cloud storage for Amazon content. So that's pretty similar to what um, Apple offers offers with. Um, iTunes purchases. Um, one thing that Amazon does that's interesting is there's this little, wh- what's it called, like a help button? You tap an app and you get pretty near instant technical support. Y- you get a human in a video um, thing, you know, like a FaceTime video, um, and they give you technical support. So Amazon is probably getting more or less the, the, the Amazon tablet purchase is probably less tech-savvy than an iPad user, and Amazon is um, shepherding them through the process of using this device, which is pretty smart of them.
0: So have you ever purchased an Amazon tablet?
22: Well, I told you, I bought the, the cheap one that's $50 in the U.S., 50 pounds here. Um, I tried it for a couple of weeks and returned it. It's certainly, for most people, it's fine. I mean, it's not HD resolution for video. Um, It's a little bit small. It's thick and heavy. It's, you know, it's not a designed object like the iPad is. But if I couldn't afford an iPad and I needed a small tablet, uh, why not? You know, compared to, uh, you know, 50 bucks compared to what? The cheapest iPad mini is, and this is the mini 2, so we're two generations back from the current model, is $269. You compare that to $50. For most people, that's a no-brainer.
0: They won't perceive anything about quality. It's, why do you buy the cheaper TV set?
22: Sure, why do you buy the cheaper TV set or or dishwasher or washing machine? It does what you need it to do, and you're less concerned about the design and and the sorts of things that... You know, Apple's always focusing on the little details, um, and this isn't something that, most people really care about, I think.
0: Well, I have to see what Apple does, if anything, to change the way they sell iPads if the sales don't flatten.
22: Yeah, and, you know, they're probably going to come out with a new iPad soon. Um, the iPad Air 2, what is it, a year and a half old? I think it was September 2014. So we're, we're probably due for another um, refresh soon. But again, what can they do to make the iPad interesting again.
0: That's an argument we maybe can make about the iPhone also. We're talking to Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy. A reminder, please go to plus.technightowl.com, plus.technightowl.com to learn about our premium package, the ad-free version of this show for a modest membership fee, plus.technightal.com. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. <laughs>
4: So you've got to take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today.
5: Are you sneezing, coughing, and aching? Do you have a sore throat, a fever, or the sniffles? There's no reason to be sick this cold and flu season with immune system support from Supernatural Silver. Supernatural Silver can give your body the help it needs to fight off harmful pathogens without hurting beneficial gut flora and without leaving behind resistant bacteria. Antibiotics can damage good microflora and often leave behind bacteria, which can cause problems later on. If you're sick of being sick, Try Supernatural Silver. Supernatural Silver, the number one choice of thousands for a safe and effective way to protect against the many diseases and illnesses that we are facing today. Go to SupernaturalSilver.com, read our customer reviews, and see the life-changing results that people are having. That's SupernaturalSilver.com. SupernaturalSilver.com. Use the promo code PROTECTED for 20% off your entire order. And like us on Facebook. Supernatural Silver.
4: Winter has just begun,
25: and are you already tired of being cold? How would you like to never be cold again? This is Dale with Fortress Clothing, and I'm here to tell you, you will never be cold again with Fortress. If you're tired of freezing your butt off, elk hunting, sitting in a tree stand, deer hunting, winter camping, fishing, ice fishing, no longer fear the cold. If you snowmobile, ski, snowboard, get Fortress. Sledding with the kids, shoveling the walks, shopping, or if you or your spouse get cold feet at home, get Fortress. If you're stuck outside working in the cold or find yourself in an emergency situation, get our winter bug out bag and you will never be cold again. Fortress is the answer. So quit complaining and go to FortressClothing.com. It's a mid-layer garment that goes with anything you want to wear. Enter coupon code RADIO and get 20% off any item. Go now while we still have inventory. FortressClothing.com
12: What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
0: So, if we do see an iPad Air 3, what does Apple add? And then conversely, what about the iPhone? Obviously, we're seeing resistance there too. What does Apple do to make it better?
22: Well, one of the discussions about the, the next iPhone, so I guess this would be the iPhone 7, is a dual-lens camera. Now, I, I'm not sure I totally understand the technology, but I think by having two lenses, they can make it so the camera lens doesn't stick out on the back of the case. Um, that camera sticking out is, is frankly, is quite embarrassing um, when you look at the device. Um, you know, most people do use a case, so it's not a problem. And, and it covers, you know, the case is, is thicker than the camera lens is. But it's surprising that Apple has something like that on the iPhone. If, if I look at the iPhone 6S, which I begrudgingly bought, there's, uh, Apple had this marketing thing that the only thing that is everything. Frankly, there's not much that's different. Touch ID is faster. 3D touch I find pretty much useless. Wide um, photos I don't use, I find that useless too. You know, they're good at telling people that there are all sorts of changes. And yes, the processor faster and the graphic thing is faster. And you can play games where you shoot and kill people faster. But for most people, this makes absolutely no difference. So whatever the next iPhone is, it's going to be incrementally better. But it's getting to be a harder and harder sell. As people are getting used to these devices, you know, this is no longer the gee whiz device it was back in 2007 and, you know, in the first years. It's become a utilitarian device now. And I'm sure Apple sees the writing on the wall that, you know, they saw what happened with the iPod. Something similar is going to happen to the iPhone. And, hey, what are they going to do, make an Apple car? You see, there's some, I don't know if it was a rumor or just a a theory that Apple might want to buy BMW. Would cost them forty or fifty billion dollars, um, jumpstart them in the car market. Uh, Apple's got you know two hundred plus billion in cash, so uh, I'm sure Apple is thinking well ahead. They're, they're aware that the iPhone is not going to be the big seller forever, and I'm sure they're working on other products to sort of replace it.
0: So, if they're going in the auto business, you think they have to buy an existing automaker or just not partner with them?
22: Yeah, it's a tough question, and you like talking about cars, and I don't. Um, So I really don't have enough awareness of the the car market to speculate. The the one thing I do know is that building a car requires very large factories. Um, I'm not sure that Foxconn or the other companies in China can tool up a car factory and build Apple cars the same way, say, a BMW or GM or anyone else could in their existing factory. Um, so that does suggest that either a partnership or an outright acquisition um, would give Apple an opportunity to build cars efficiently.
0: And BMW, however, except for the Mini, tends to be a manufacturer of luxury cars.
22: Right, because an Apple car is not going to be cheap. It's not going to be the £50, $50 Amazon tablet. It's going to, be the, the, it's going to compete with the Tesla or something like that.
0: Apple and BMW. Apple's thought of it being the BMW for tech gear.
22: Yeah, that's uh, some people make that, or BMW, Mercedes, that kind of thing. Um, I would actually say that Apple's more like... I'm I tempted to say that Apple's the Volvo of tech gear. It's like good quality stuff at a higher price. It's not luxury. You know, BMW, you start getting into really high prices, um, same with Mercedes, even though they have some cars that aren't too expensive. But, you know, more like Volvo in the sense that um, quality, reliability, that sort of stuff, even though, hey, reliability these days with Apple products isn't as great as it used to be.
0: I would think Volvo be more affordable, but it was acquired several years ago by a Chinese manufacturer.
22: Yeah, but apparently there, I read something last week they're still it's still the same um swedish engineers designing the cars but they're built in china now uh, some of them are built in china maybe some of them are still built in sweden i'm not sure
0: yeah they still kept the swedish factories which gives it its style or whatever
22: yeah and you know cuz they've been building them there since forever um and and don't forget that the rest of the volvo company is swedish uh, you know they don't only make cars they make trucks they make um What do they make, airplanes? You know, military airplanes and things like that. And the only part that was sold was the car division.
0: Well, I was thinking also Land Rover and Jaguar.
22: Yeah, they're made just about an hour from where I live.
0: It's owned by an Indian company, but the price would be a lot less.
22: Yeah, um... So, so they're two different cars, right? Land Rover and Jaguar—they're totally different. Land
0: Rover is like the SUV or Jeep-style yeah, an vehicle, and right. the Jaguar—they're coming out with a lower-cost Jaguar to compete with the lower-cost BMW. The prices are down over what they used to be, so that's a possibility.
22: Yeah, um, but the Jaguar is a luxury car. There's no doubt about it.
0: No um, doubt about
22: it. No doubt about it. We don't see too many of them here. I mean, I have uh, well. A neighbor who just moved today, in fact, had two Jaguars, and he had one of those really old um, sports cars, like from the 60s or the 50s, you know, a two-seater um, uh, convertible type thing, a really nice car. Um, but they are luxury cars, whereas the, the Land Rover, Land Rovers are not cheap. They're quite expensive for SUVs. Um, but it's, you know, it's a utilitarian vehicle with a certain cachet. I'm just looking on the Jaguar website. You can get a Jaguar XC from 27,000 pounds. So that's about, what, $40,000. That's the starting price.
0: They're coming out with a new model, which should be like a BMW 3. According to this note, Tata Motors mm-hmm. of India bought Jaguar and Land Rover in 2008 for $2.5 billion it's yeah. less than Apple paid for Beats Electronics. That's a
22: good point. Yeah. And so Tata is well known for having made an extremely cheap car in India. Um, I, I think it cost new just a few thousand dollars. I mean, it was very, very inexpensive. Um, you know, designed for the Indian market, not a lot of luxury stuff in it. Um, but apparently it's a very popular car in India. And I guess this is where they got all their money to be able to buy you know, the quintessential English brand. I mean, the Jaguar, other than the Aston Martin, um, you know, Jaguar is like one of the biggest, the the most emblematic car brands over here.
0: As I said, the prices are down over what they used to be. The new Jaguar, I think it's the XE. Yeah. Is going to be in the mid thirties.
22: Well, that's what I'm looking at here. And it says 27,000 pounds. That's the starting price. Um, which, as I said, that's around $40,000. So it could be that the U.S. price is a little bit lower because, remember, this includes 20% VAT over here. So if you lop that off, um, that's about £5,000 less. So that makes 25000 So, yeah, that comes out to mid-30s.
0: Okay, the 25T is $34,900.
22: Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't afford one of these, but it would be nice to have a Jaguar, wouldn't it? Nah, yeah, personally. That would be fun. Personally, uh, um, I've had a couple. I've had two Volvos, and and that's kind of that's my car. If I was spending more money on a car, it would be a Volvo that I would buy. I wouldn't want something like this. I
0: think we're kind of whistling in the dark here about whether it makes sense for Apple to buy an existing car maker or roll their own.
22: Yeah, I mean it's interesting speculation. So. You know, Apple does have two hundred plus billion dollars in cash, and you can't not wonder what they're going to do. If if they were really concerned about quote unquote shareholder value, they would have given a lot more of that money back to the shareholders. I think there's still, I think there's going to be some huge, massive acquisition. You know, the biggest acquisition ever um, at some point, and it won't take up even half of the cash they have.
0: So Apple in the car business, they either build their own or they buy a car maker and use their design for a new model. Kirk McElhern and Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night Out Live.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
13: Owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't take on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill sometimes. I can even get it zeroed out completely. We're an A-rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS. If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral.
14: Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180.
10: Are you looking to sell body armor? Want to make extra money selling body armor at your local gun shows? With low minimum buys and great returns, Katie Armor is the answer. Make money in your spare time. It's American-made body armor with the quickest turnaround in the industry, which means you get your product when you need it at very competitive rates. And they'll ship it to you for free. If you own a business, give them a call today at 855 488 Katie That's 855-488-2284. Or go to katiearmor.com
15: Come and take it. Today, more than ever, it's imperative that you protect your digital privacy. EDEC Digital Forensics Signal Blocking Anti-Radiation Anti-Surveillance Faraday Bags shield the contents of your phones, tablets, and key fobs from 4G, Wi-Fi, GPS, Bluetooth, NFC, and more. Find us at edecdf.com radio or call us now at 805-222-4584. That's
3: 805-222-4584. Radio listeners get 20% off your order. Is negative content or comments on the web affecting your personal or professional reputation? Unfavorable comments, embarrassing pictures, videos, legal documents, and negative articles can ruin your personal life, your career, or your business. It happens a lot, and it's just not fair. But what can you do? ReputationDefender.com can help protect your good name. Get a free consultation now. Call 800-831-0771. That's 800-831-0771. Call right now for a free expert reputation analysis. It's easy to squash the unfair attacks with our patented system, and the analysis is absolutely free. Make the best things about you jump out in searches. Protect your personal and professional reputation, your business, and your income. Get your free reputation analysis from ReputationDefender.com right now. Call 800-831-0771 800-831-0771 That's 800-831-0771 or visit ReputationDefender.com today.
26: Most of you know that heart disease is the number one silent killer in the U.S. What if I told you for just $54.95 a month you could fight against heart disease naturally? At Heart and Body Extract, we've been helping thousands of people get back to a healthier heart. Don't just take my word for it. Check out all of the success stories at hbxtract.com. or to order call 866-295-5305 that's 866-295-5305 hbxtract.com. don't risk it when you can take charge of it
12: you're listening to the tech night owl live with gene steinberg you never know what's going to happen next
0: final segment of Tech Night Out Live with Gene and Kirk. I'm getting over a flu virus. You're not going to hear much of me, thank heavens. But we have a lot to talk about here. L. Capitan and TVOS, a bag of hurt for people with motion sickness Sickness. and other vestibular disorders.
22: Yeah. So a, a tech writer over here in the UK that I know fairly well, Craig Grinnell, He's been writing about these motion issues for a while. He has um, some vestibular problems. The vestibular part of your ear is the, I think it's like the little spiral bits and it helps with your balance. So if you have vestibular problems, you have balance issues. And and this is particularly difficult when things move around. And, And the best example I can remember of that is the old Time Machine interface. When you went into Time Machine, to look for a file that you were going to restore, you'd see your windows in the middle of the screen, and then behind it, you'd have these stars that were slowly moving towards you. Now, I have a a little bit of problem because of my vision with this sort of thing, and I always hated that, and Apple got rid of that. I think they got rid of it with El Capitan. But Craig has been writing about all the other issues um, where Apple just doesn't care about all these things that move. you know, on my iPhone, every time there's a new o- OS, I turn off all these things as a reduce motion button in the accessibility settings. It's just eye candy, and it's just disturbing. So one example is if the normal way you tap an icon on your iPhone and the icon sort of expands to fill the screen as the app opens, that movement over time can be very disturbing for people with balance issues. And Craig is pointing out in his article that it's not just iOS which has actually got more settings to reduce motion, but OS X and tvOS as well. Uh, tvOS has this thing where you scroll through you know, movies or whatever in the iTunes store and they slide from one side to the other and it's really disturbing. And I understand that he, he has problems with this and he's pointing it out and he's been complaining about it for a couple of years and Apple does make some progress, but not enough. And so one thing that I wrote about in my article is font sizes. I tried a new email app for my iPhone recently. Cloud Mail, I think it's called. Is that it? It's a Cloud Magic. It's a free email app. And I put it on my phone and I set up my uh, my email account and I got my mail and immediately deleted it because the, the size of the font in the preview is, it looks like it's about six points. I mean, it's impossible to read. And the app has no font settings. Now, Apple addressed this might be as far back as iOS 7, where you can set a sort of a system-wide font setting. So you can say, I want all the fonts to be a little bit bigger. And then everywhere in iOS and the iOS apps, this font setting is applied and you know, fonts are enlarged a little bit. But a number of apps that I use have fonts that just aren't quite big enough. And I've contacted some developers who basically said to me, okay, well, think about adding that feature, you know, to allow people to change font sizes. It's not a feature for me, it should be a requirement. I use Tweetbot as a Twitter client on my Mac. I don't use it on my iPhone. And Tweetbot lets you choose five font sizes, tiny, small, medium, large, and huge. Now, I have it set to huge. And I can still read pretty well. I mean, my eyesight's okay. It's not great. And I can imagine someone who has serious vision problems would simply not be able to read that font size. It's really not hard to make an app where users can choose fonts in points, you know, 12, 14, 18, 24, 36, that sort of thing. And too many um, developers are ignoring this now. And as I said, for that email app, Cloud Magic, I just won't use it, period, because the font's too small. And if I can't adjust it, it's obviously not designed for me.
0: It would seem, though, that they must have a awareness of this.
22: Well, as I said, a, a number of times when I've contacted developers, they act as if they don't care. That's the feeling I get. You know, we might want to add this feature one day. But it's surprising because Macs in general are quite good as far as accessibility is concerned. If you go into the um, system preferences, you have an accessibility pane, You can change things in the display, you can zoom things as voiceover, there's audio settings and keyboard and mouse and all that. Over the years, Apple has added more and more settings, and it's really, it's not that bad. But third-party developers, if they ignore it, you know, it's it's just contempt for users. You got to understand, a lot of these developers are like our kids' age, right? They're in their 20s, and they've got good eyesight, and they just don't think about it. I don't know if you know a lot of people who do development on a computer. You notice they very often, they want to see as much code as possible in their code editors, and they're using really tiny fonts. So to them, what might be a normal size font to you and me looks really large.
0: Just one more thing here. Problems with USB-C cables that could damage the hardware?
22: Yeah, this is really interesting. There's a, a Google engineer Um, who's been testing cables for the USB-C specification? So uh, Google's, what is it called, the Pixel? Their high-end Chromebook uses a USB-C connector like the 12-inch MacBook. And this Google engineer has been posting reviews on Amazon. Uh, Each time he tests a cable, he says, this meets the specs or it doesn't. And one of these cables he tested actually fried his $1,000 Google laptop. Now, this really disturbs me because if you're, a, if you're just an average user, you don't know which cable to buy. And you pick one, and you're not expecting that a cable can damage your hardware. Um, you know, we've, we've never seen this in USB cables. Oh, I wrote about this on my website, and someone posted in a comment, well, it was a common problem with FireWire cables and, and, and camcorders. And I never had a camcorder, so I never saw that. Um, But it disturbs me that we've got a new technology, so the USB-C connector, that is that fragile that the cables have to be just right. And that means that instead of, you know, getting a $10 cable, I've got to spend $20, but I've got to make sure it's just right. And I wonder, in this particular case, what what sort of liability does the cable manufacturer have? Um, If it's some Chinese company just selling stuff on Amazon, you've lost a $1,000 laptop. And you're pretty much screwed because you bought a $10 cable. That's a, that's a bit scary.
0: Yeah, and there's no way to know in advance. So then if something happens to your hardware, like your brand-new $1299 MacBook, yep. because you use the wrong cable, who's responsible?
22: Yeah, I, I would say that personally um, I, I'm very hesitant about the USB-C connector. Apple's only using it for now on the MacBook, and I, and I do have a MacBook, and it's really problematic, just the single connector and having to have adapters and all that. I'd be very hesitant about buying another USB-C computer because of all the difficulty of connecting things to it. I, I, I don't think that Apple's single-port choice on the MacBook is, is, was a really good idea, but the fact that the cables can be a problem, that pretty much makes me not want to have another type of device like this.
0: I would agree until they can set up some standards and the nature of responsibilities.
22: The specifications exist. It's just, as a user, we can't tell whether the cable actually meets those specifications.
0: Kirk McElhern, please tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff.
22: You can find me at my website called Kirkville. It's at com. That's M C E L H E A R N.com. And you can find me at Macworld, where I write the Ask the iTunes Guy column, which Gene didn't mention this week, um, among other things.
0: You can find us on Twitter, where we are known as Tech Night How, We're known as Tech Night on Twitter. You can also check out our other radio show about. UFOs and things to go bump in the night this weekend on the PowerCast at powercast.com. will feature Eric Wellette. We'll talk about parapsychology, sociology, and UFOs. Very, very fascinating guy. We also have another feature of the show called Tech Night Owl Plus. Go to plus.technightowl.com. P L U S. It's how you get the ad free version of this show, higher resolution audio. Doesn't that sound good? And you get it all for a modest monthly, annual, five-year, or even a lifetime subscription fee. Go to PLUS.TechNightOut.com. Kirk and thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live.
22: Thanks for having me again, Gene.
4: is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel.